And welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, back here once again, coming to you, uh, not live, but sort of live, um, in your ear holes on a lovely Thursday, I'm sure, uh, for everyone. Um... And we've hit a little bit of a milestone here, I guess you would say, at the show. We're at episode 20, um, which is... I'm not going to sit here and say that I was that I didn't think that we would reach 20 episodes on this show, because, um, one, this show has been sort of a pet project for me for a while, and the fact that the people at Outsports were able to provide the platform to have this show reach as many people, and to just give me the ability to have this show... And produce this show in the way that I have has been um, exhilarating and has installed a lot of confidence in me to have the show keep going um, beyond 20 episodes. I know 20 is not usually a, a number to be celebrated, I would say, but it's a nice even number. And considering the hectic week <laughs> that I am uh, personally having um, around... Uh, planning for upcoming travel and there's a lot of of work that's been going on this week a lot of um just a lot of things <laughs> I, I figured that for a good round number like 20 it'll be a fun time to kind of take a step back from the normal format of the show um and give all of you fun listeners, the chance to turn me into the interview subject for, for a day. Um, so we're doing an AMA edition of the show. And I know I threw um, calls for questions out on Facebook, on Twitter, on uh, Discord. Um, I, I want to say I threw something out on Reddit, but Reddit's a wasteland, so who knows. Um, so yeah, it's been, it, it was been fun to see the responses. Uh, very interesting. I, I didn't, I didn't limit it to wrestling, but, um, pretty much all of the responses were wrestling related, which makes sense for a pro wrestling show here. So I thought that would be a, just a fun, like low key way to kind of celebrate 20 as well as, I uh, keep myself from going fucking insane this week, um, especially considering that we have a huge pay-per-view coming up um, this weekend on Saturday night with AEW Revolution, and, you know, I we're, both me and my partner are preparing to go head out to D.C. here um, in the next week or so to check out uh, Primetime Pro Wrestling's Butch vs. Score live and in person. That's going to be a blast of an experience. Um, so there's just a lot of logistics that have to be worked out around these things, um, and other stuff that I'm not going to talk about here, um, but <laughs> no, it's, it's nothing bad or anything, it's just, there's just a lot going on, and I figured that this would be, it would be fun for me and for all of you as well, um, so yeah, I think that this is, I don't know how regular this is going to become, but I'm definitely, I definitely enjoy these sort of things. Um, and I've never really done one of these before. I've never, I, I don't 
tend to, I'm not the kind of person that tends to like have a curious cat account or like throw out polls or questions on social media for other people to answer. I'm much more of a declarative person. If you follow me on social media, I'm much more of a, um, animated outspoken, um, person, at least in some ways on Twitter, it's not always consistent, but when I, when I get riled up, I get riled up. So I don't normally have the opportunity to answer questions from people. And, and this is, it's always fun to put the other shoe on the foot or some kind of, I don't know. That's an idiom of some sort. You know what I'm saying. It's okay. Um, so yeah, just gonna take a little bit of time here and uh, get into some of these uh, questions from all of you. Um, and I'm really excited to do so. Um, uh and of course, given that the AEW pay-per-view uh, is this weekend, um, it's only fitting that our first question be uh, directly tied into that event. Uh, this is coming from uh, Asita Marie, who is an awesome pro wrestling photographer. We've done a lot of work for a lot of promotions over in Japan, a lot of work for North American promotions as well. Um, actually guested with her on an episode of Smart to Death, uh, talking about the uh the golden lovers uh about what was that like almost a year ago now at this point it's been a while but we remain close friends but she posted out um a question regarding the women's world championship match coming up at AEW revolution on saturday night uh, which of course that will pit the new champion um the princess king the native beast um nyla of house rose first of her name, against uh, one of my favorite uh, pro wrestlers going right now, and so happy that she ended up signing a contract with AEW, um, the alien Chris Statlander. Um, and Sita asks uh, for my prediction for that match and what story I would tell in that match. Fucking heavy hitter right out of the gate. <laughs> I am not normally the the kind uh, person that really likes to explore fantasy booking per se. Um, it can be fun every once in a while, um, but it's just not something that I really dive into that much. But that doesn't mean I don't have thoughts. Um, so I guess first off, my prediction for the match: I believe Nyla Rose will retain over Statlander. I think that that outcome makes the most sense right now considering that it's been like two weeks since Nyla won the title off of Riho and she's only the second woman to hold that championship in the company's existence so I think that you want to continue the trend of champions holding titles for an elongated amount of time not necessarily as long as say like everyone holds it for a year or something like that but if you're looking at, if Nyla loses that belt on Saturday, she would have held it for a total of 17 days. You don't want your second championship reign in the history of your title, in the history of your company, to only last 17 days. Another point, though, is that they have AEW as a company has shown that they are in the Nyla Rose business. They have been heavily promoting her 
um, on the recent episodes of Dynamite. They have kept her strong for a number of months ever since she lost that inaugural uh, title match to Riho back on the first episode of Dynamite on October 2nd, 2019. Um, they have been building Nyla into a, you know, for lack of a better term, a beast. And she has been very successful in that role. Um, she has only gotten better every time that she's gone out. And I think that if you take the title off of her and and shorten her title reign to only 17 days, that that does wonders to just chop that all of that build off at the knees. I mean, it wouldn't take too long to rehab her if you did take the title off of her, but I think that you would be seriously hampering any of your future direction that you want to go in that division right now, especially after there's been so much criticism of the AEW's women, of the AEW women's division. Um, and of course that's not centering on, on Nyla or Riho or, you know, any of the other awesome people there, Statlander, Big Swole, Shauna, um, they have an awesome women's roster. I, Britt Baker, I almost forgot about... That's the thing. I've already named like seven names of people that are stellar in the ring and have the potential to be stellar outside of the ring as well. Emi Sakura, Hikaru Shida. See, the names just keep rolling off. So the division is there. They just have to find a way to make it relevant and put it out in front of people more often. Um... And Nyla is a great person to build that around because being the, like, basically like the big strong queen of that division, she poses a domineering figure to the majority of, of the other women in that division. And you could tell all kinds of different stories and matches with her there. You can build all kinds of different rivalries around there with her. I think she's the person, perfect person to hold on to this title for a while, at least a few months. And then kind of probably, well, this question will be, probably have more of a relevancy and discussion um, whenever Double or Nothing rolls around in May, the next uh, AEW pay-per-view. I think that's where we'll start to get into, okay, where is the women's division at this point? Who are the formidable challengers? Who have they built up to face Nyla? And is it credible for them to beat Nyla and take the title off of her at this point? So, yes, I think, unfortunately, as much as I love Chris Statlander, I think she is going to lose. As for the story of the match, um, Chris Statlander is one of the few women in this division that can actually stand up to Nyla physically, you know, in terms of, like, height, uh, muscle, strength. Um, and she also possesses a lot more agility than Nyla does. Um, even though Nyla is deceptively agile, I always remind people she is deceptively agile. Just go back and watch some of her stuff from Sendai Girls back in Japan. Like, she is nimble as hell. Um, but that being said, like, you know, I think that you could get a very, this will be a very hard-hitting match, I feel. Um, I think that you will get a few um, spots in there that will be impressive in terms of athleticism. Um, I really think this is just two Mack trucks running into each other in a lot of ways, yet the Mack trucks handle like Pontiac Sunfires. I don't know why that's the car that came up to my brain. Maybe it's because I used to drive one. 
that's another story for another day. I I think this is going to I think this is going to be a match built off of athleticism. I don't think this is going to be a very story heavy match per se. You know, somebody might work some limbs. There there might be some stuff in there with Stat trying to break down Nyla's base in order for her to um, like better counteract some of the power moves that, that Nyla has in there. But I really think this is just going to be a straightforward match built off of athleticism and built off of um, two strong women just colliding in the middle of a ring in a way that you know other women's divisions don't necessarily showcase and I think it speaks to a lot of the um, the adoption of different wrestling styles within AEW that that really cater to this sort of thing like this this will be basically a match that you might see in say like shimmer in some ways just straight up athleticism straight at one another I don't think that it's going to be a very story heavy match and that's okay because there are plenty of other matches on that card that are story-heavy. I am looking directly at MJF versus Cody. Whew. But we'll get into that more next week, because we're going to have um, Colette Aaron, who, of course, guested on last week's show to talk about Nyla's championship win on Dynamite. Um, she'll be back to talk with me and about AEW Revolution, on, and we're going to go through the entire show and... Um, give our thoughts once we are able to ingest all of it. Uh, so thank you, Asita. I'm so glad to hear from you again. And uh, yeah, I hope that I hope that answered your question. I also hope that wasn't too long-winded. Um, so I guess we'll get to our next one here. This one actually came from uh, someone in, I kind of know IRL. Um, this one came from uh, Ali via text message. <laughs> Um, basically, Ali wants to know who my top, who was, like, my epitome Four Horsemen. Like, out of all of the people who have been in the Four Horsemen, who are my four? Um, it is a loaded question, and a question that, especially where I grew up in the South, everyone has an opinion on. Um, and I don't think my answer is going to surprise many people because I think it's the, the makeup of the team that most people remember with fondness, or at least the most fondness in some ways. I know there are some people out there that are like the four horsemen, you can't be the four horsemen without Ole Anderson involved. And like, I get it. I could not care less about Ole Anderson. Like Ole Anderson was great to watch. That's fine. But Ole Anderson does not make my four. That's just, sorry. That's not where I'm at. So, of course, you have to have Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. Those are the two. Arn Anderson's like the father figure that I looked up to in some ways that I didn't know was a father figure until I was like in my mid-20s and I realized like, oh, wait, no. Like that dude just basically, <laughs> that dude just basically was like teaching me life lessons, and I didn't realize it. Whenever he was carrying this that fishbowl set of silver dollars down to the ring on WCW Worldwide, um, no, like I always, I, my friend Andrew, um, who I used to host another show with uh, before I jumped on the Outsports train here, um, he will tell you that the adversity promo from Arn Anderson are words that we both live by. 
um, adversity introduces a man to himself. And that those are words that, like, if I had a tattoo, that would be tattooed on me somewhere. Um, it might still be tattooed on me somewhere at some point, but like literally that's like, that's a motto that just always runs through the back of my head anytime that I'm taking on new situations. So Arn has to be in there. Rick, what can you say about Rick Flair? Happy birthday, by the way, his birthday was on Tuesday of this past week. Um, and so there's really nothing much more you can say about Ric Flair. He's the, he's the man. You can't have the four horsemen without Ric Flair. So you have to have Ric Flair on this list. Number three for me, um, Tully Blanchard. I, I, every once in a while, whenever I just get kind of bored with uh, podcasts or YouTube while I'm working, I'll throw on my copy, my DVD copy of the four Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen documentary that the WWE put out, like at this point, what, 10, 12 years ago. And, the way that Tully describes himself as the spark plug of the Four Horsemen, I can't think of a better descriptor for what Tully Blanchard represented within that team. That dude, like, even if you liked him, you liked him because you could hate him as much as you could. And Tully is a legend. Tully is a guy that I am fairly upset that I did not get to see more of during, like, like live during my fandom where whereas I a lot of basically everything Tully did came before I really got into wrestling so I was a uh I had to learn about him years later like Tully wasn't even on my radar until like 99 I would say that's whenever I discovered Tully Blanchard and that's whenever I fell in love with Tully Blanchard and it's a it's I'm great I'm very happy that both he and Arn are on AW TV fairly regularly. I wish Tully was on more so. Um but Tully is outstanding. Tully is on that list. Tully cannot not be on that list. Um, and then the fourth spot is always the hardest. This is where the Ole Anderson argument comes in cuz like yes he was a founding member. He he was a formidable member um there but and then some of the more modern people from like the 90s for the four horsemen your d malinkos who a big d malinko stan um during the mid to late 90s uh, where i first got into wrestling one of my first matches that i really watched from beginning to end was Rey mysterio d malinko from orlando in like early 96 and I was immediately, that's what drew me to Cruiserweights. That's what drew me to Lucha Libre in some ways, was seeing that match. Um, Brian Pillman is another one that I would that I would throw out there as a, as an honorable mention because like, before he had his car wreck that caused his ankle to be fused, he tore it up in WCW. And his pairing with the Four Horsemen was just beyond perfect. It was the... Like that was whenever you had like this, you were looking at the Four Horsemen of the '90s as a renaissance of what they used to be. Like this, we were past the Paul Roma era, we were past the Sid Vicious era, and, and we were starting to get a new concoction of the team that could work really, really well within the uh, the context of the '90s. I would say, of course, that all got cut off at the legs whenever Pillman left, and then the NWO uh, came about and. That's that's a long story that I honestly did not... I'll let other people tell that story. But 
for me, as much as I love Pillman and Malenko, and even in some instances, Mongo, dear God, Mongo, <laughs> um, Barry Windham is number four for me, and I don't think that should surprise anybody. Um, if there's somebody that could match up to Ric Flair on a um, nightly basis running Broadway's, like 45 to 60 minute Broadway's, um, Barry Windham is, is the guy. Uh, just the perfect mix of athleticism, size, um, and power for a pro wrestler of that late 80s, the mid to late 80s, early 90s era. You know, um, Barry Windham was another guy that I kind of came to later on afterwards, after his time with the Four Horsemen, after his WC, time with WCW. My first time I ever saw Barry Windham live and in person was watching him when he was known as the Stalker in the WWF at the time. Um, which, uh, I definitely had an action figure that looked like a GI Joe that I just made to be the stalker because like, I thought that it was really cool not knowing how much cooler the Widowmaker Barry Windham was like without the dumb camo everywhere. So no, Barry Windham needs to be on that list as well. And of course, round it all out with JJ. Is JJ's the only manager that the Four Horsemen ever should have had, ever, ever. All right. So next up, oh, next up we have a uh, breaking que- breaking news question. In some ways, um, I'm I'm recording this on um, on Wednesday. Sorry, I almost forgot what day it was. I'm recording this on Wednesday, and only a couple of hours before I said um, to uh, record this, uh, Lance Archer, the quote-unquote American psycho, um, ha- was announced as a new signee of All Elite Wrestling, which is a huge, a huge move. Um Awesome to see him get his due there, um, uh, stateside after having a great run for the past like two or three years, and even beyond that over in Japan as well. Um, but I did get a question in my DMs from uh, from someone asking how old do I think AEW will introduce Lance Archer? Um, That's a tough one because the obvious first feud I think for him or the first like interaction with him I would feel would be John Moxley just based off of their interactions in in New Japan like the last time we saw Lance Archer and John Moxley on or the last time we saw Lance Archer rather on New Japan TV was at Wrestle Kingdom whenever he lost the US title to Moxley in a uh, Texas Death Match um, a match that ended whenever Moxley put Archer through a table head first, and Archer cut himself very badly on that t- on that table. Um, and considering that Moxley is in uh, such a high profile position going into this weekend's pay per view, he's challenging Chris Jericho for the AEW World Title. Um, I think that that would be. See, that's the thing. That's the tough part about this. I think that him costing Moxley the title in that match would be a great way for him to debut. The only problem is you run the risk of 
diluting the inner circle by adding yet another person or associating another person with Jericho's group in such short order. Because we're only like a week or two removed from the introduction of Jeff Cobb as this mercenary character um, working alongside Jericho, having some involvement with the inner circle, but not. it's kind of been vague about whether he's an actual member of the inner circle. And I think that if you bring Archer in and associate him with that group, uh, you run the risk of having the same thing that happened to the NWO happen to the inner circle. Maybe not immediately, but definitely down the line. Um, which sucks because I think that him and Moxley is the perfect entry point. I think that that would be really, really good. Those would be really good matches. Those would be really fun matches. Um, I could see both of them in a lights out match at double or nothing. That would be stellar in my opinion. I don't know if that's going to happen though, based off of my fears, but if that doesn't happen, I think Archer and Luchasaurus could be fun. I think that, um, Archer and uh, Jimmy Havoc could be fun. Um, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, maybe, you know, we haven't seen Jake Hager wrestle yet. And I know this goes back to that argument about having him involved with the Inner Circle, but Lance Archer versus Dustin Rhodes. Like, if, if Hager wants to, like, he's been training and he quote-unquote gets injured during training so he doesn't have to get into the AEW rings yet again, um, and you have Lance Archer be his replacement against Dustin as like another quote unquote mercenary um, character. Like that would be, that match would be great. Um, there's a bunch of different directions you could go with, with Lance Archer and AEW. But I think the most notable thing right now is that everybody dies in AEW the minute he shows up. <laughs> and I am here for it. I, I can't wait to see what they do with him. Let's see, I want to try to keep this under 30 or so minutes, so I'm probably just going to go to one more question here, and then we can wrap this up, even if it's going to be a little bit longer than 30, but we're going to keep it a little bit tighter than some of the longer conversations that I like to have with people, because um, we all have things to get back to in our lives. But we're going to wrap this little AMA edition up with a question from a recent guest on the show. Um one of the producers of Uncanny Attractions, Mr. Darnell Mitchell, um, who, if you haven't listened to my interview with Darnell from last week's show, like definitely go download it. It's episode 19. It's great. Colette's on there as well, so you get both of those interviews there. And it was just a blast talking to Darnell. Um, but Darnell poses a very interesting question that is worthy of the main event spot in the, in this little, um, in, in this little show here. Um, what are your feelings when people crave representation in mainstream companies, but not actively seek out indie companies that make representation their priority? This, this is a loaded topic that honestly, it frustrates me. It really does. Um, 
because I've seen it in other fields as well. Maybe not necessarily specifically to representation, but in in different media fields, um, even in different sporting fields, um, you kind of have a tendency to focus on whoever the heaviest hitter is in a lot of ways. Um, and you focus on them kind of being a source of show, social change or being on the right side of the social narrative in a lot of ways, especially if you have viewpoints of your own or you are part of communities that are underserved by other places. So I think it's, I think that people are right to want those things from major mainstream uh, companies. In this instance, you know, places like WWE, I think they're right to want that, but you can't let that want blind you to what's going on um, at a you know more grassroots level. Places that are creating spaces for those people, specifically for those people, um, and they definitely have the the word of mouth and they have the the level of product that could draw these people. And it's just a matter of, um, being shown it or being, or having the word get out about it. You know, um, I think that if you are actively, if you're not actively looking for these sort of spaces, but just clamoring for the other spaces, the more conservative minded ones, um, to kind of come around to you, keep fighting that fight but realize that there are people that are fighting that fight alongside you. And, you know, I wrote a piece last week about all of the different companies that are coming to Tampa for WrestleMania weekend that are using WWE's, like, they're using the people that are coming to Tampa for WWE, using that fan platform to put on shows that are specifically catered to these co these communities that are underserved. You know, you have women's promotions, Promotions that feature people of color, shows that are featuring people of color, shows that are featuring queer talent, shows that are being put on by queer promoters. Um, not to mention, you have uh, shows like uh, Faye Jackson's Grey Sweatpants Battle Royal that is literally there to just celebrate female sexuality in a lot of ways and, and sex positivity. Um, which, of course, also, plenty of queer people are going to be at that show, I'm sure, and they get to celebrate their own sexualities, and it's all welcoming. These sort of shows and companies, like Uncanny Attractions, um, shows like Effie's Big Gay Brunch, For the Culture, from AJ Gray, um, like all of the, even Bondage Agogo, Marcus Green's Bondage Agogo, like they're speaking to communities that have had their voices looked at as othered. In to definitely to varying degrees, but two degrees, um, and more people need to realize that these companies are out there and creating spaces for these sort of movements to continue to grow and to get some momentum behind them and to find their place within the the, the wrestling uh, ecosystem. I would say. Um, and more people should be looking out for them. They should be looking to find them. And 
I think that if you're not, if you're a member of those communities and you're wanting to find those sort of, uh, that sort of representation and you are not looking to these companies, um, I think that you're doing yourself a disservice. I think that if you're, if you're putting all of your baskets in the WWE or all, all of your baskets, if you're putting all of your eggs in the WWE basket, then I think that you're just going to be surly for a long time. You know, that's not to say that the company isn't moving in the right direction in some ways. You know, they're hiring more queer talent. I realize that going from one to three, um, four, five, like it's it's better, but it's still not all the way there. And and they're definitely giving queer talent um, the opportunities, but at the same time, like you have, like I always double back to Brock Lesnar to beating Kofi Kingston in what five seconds for the WWE Championship last year on the debut of SmackDown. Like you still have that sort of thing where they just do not understand the power that seeing someone who looks like you on TV and actually have some credibility in that role, the kind of power that that delivers. So you can't look to WWE solely. Impact is getting there. You still can't look to Impact solely. New Japan, like, they had the Golden Lover storyline. That was great. Can't be looking to them solely. Hopefully they'll all come around to some better position over time and we can keep pushing them to do that but that does not mean that you do that at the expense of supporting the people that are there helping you fight the fight within the industry itself and working within the industry to change the industry for the better and yeah that that's that's how I feel. That's why I really like doing the show because we I like to highlight voices that are fighting that fight, and putting them out there for more people to learn about them. You know, that's one of the core tenets of the show, and I one of the reasons why I love to continue to do this show, and why I'm really happy that we've hit 20 episodes and that we're going to do so many more, as many more as um, Don and Sid and Jim will allow me to do before I just get too uh, dumb to host anymore. I don't know. Um, I might be a bit self-critical. Either way, it doesn't matter. This has been really fun, actually. I've had to... I was not expecting to get as thoughtful and, and in-depth on, on some of this stuff. Like, especially... I'm, God, that was a hell of a question, Darnell. You're holding... You're keeping me on my toes there. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I really like these and, and hopefully we'll do another one of these again whenever we hit some sort of milestone, like not 25, but maybe if we get to, when we get to 50, possibly we'll see. I'm really bummed because, um, Casey, my partner, um, of course you've heard them on a couple of episodes so far on the show. They were going to be here to, uh, like kind of be the, the interviewer. To so to speak, the one throwing the questions out at me, but unfortunately, like I said, hectic week. Um, so, but I know that they'll be returning whenever we um, go out to Butcher's Gore um, on March seventh. So, as much as I've, as it 
uh, as much of a bummer as it was that they weren't able to sit down with me for this edition of the show. They'll definitely be back on. And I think that's a good place to call this one for right now. Definitely come back next Thursday because we're going to have Colette Aaron from uh, Fanbyte on to discuss AEW Revolution, all of the happenings and the fallout of that show, which honestly poses to be one of the better events, I'd say, of the past year or so. AEW really hasn't failed on delivering with their pay-per-views so far, and a revolution looks like it's just going to be another home run for them, at least so far. Never know until the execution comes. Um, but before we get out of here, I do have to throw out some thank yous to some people who help this show get made and made as well as it is. Um, of course, that all starts off here with Daniel Quasar, the designer of the Progress Pride flag that we use in our logo. The Progress Pride flag designed by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at quasar.digital. And then, of course, a huge thank you to Sarah in the Safe Word for our theme song, Formula 666. That's off the album Red, Hot, and Holy. And you can find them on Twitter at STSW Band. And you can check out their music on Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahinthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Follow me on Twitter at WonderboyOTM. Follow the show on Twitter at LGBTRingPod. And I do have a fun little extra announcement to go along with all of that. Um, here on the Outsports uh, podcast, radio network, something or another, um, we have a lot of awesome shows. Transporter Room, Five Reasons Rule Them All, The Sports Kiki, our latest show with uh, our new managing editor, Alex Raymer. Like, all good stuff. Um, one of my favorites to listen to uh, is the uh, Three Strikes You're Out podcast because I am a pretty big baseball fan. Um, and Ken Schultz does a great job hosting that show um, every Friday. And I am going to be a guest on that show this coming Friday. And I am very excited because I don't get the chance to talk baseball that much um, these days. And I just think it's going to be a blast. Um, especially considering that I get to read copy about my own appearance on a show I love to get as fucking meta as I possibly can. <laughs> uh, so definitely come back uh, tomorrow on the Three Strikes You're Out podcast with Ken Schultz and myself. Ken's going to challenge me to step out of, outside the squared circle and into a steel cage of baseball geekery. We're going to talk about my allegiance to the world champion Washington Nationals. Hashtag natitude. And, the predece and their predecessors, the Montreal Expos, and maybe even the Boston Bees and Cleveland Spiders as well. This Friday on the Outsports Podcast Network, three strikes you're out with your guest, me, Brian Bell. I cannot wait. Ken, this is going to be a blast. I, uh, I have not got the chance to actually sit down and talk about the Montreal Expos in a long time. It's going to be so much fun. Um. And of course, 
If you're into video games as well, I do host a gaming news uh, podcast alongside two awesome Twitch streamers, uh, Slacker Kite and Lady Merwin. Uh, that is called the Mr. Video Game Super Show. That goes live on twitch.tv slash Entertainment every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. It is a raucous two hours, good time. Like, we just, I honestly, it's probably my most let loose that I ever get on a broadcast, and it's really fun. Um, but it also has a lot of analysis and a lot of critique in there as well. And it's, it's, I, it's one of the highlights of my week, honestly. And I would suggest that if you're into video games at all or just want to hear me fall into more of my traps of dumbness, then um, definitely give give it a uh, look-see um, over at twitch.tv slash deadsun. Sun like the star, not like the baby. Uh, entertainment. Um, every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We will be back next Thursday with Colette Aaron from Fanbyte. We're going to talk all about AW Revolution, and I cannot wait. But until then, y'all stay messy, be good to one another, and we'll see you next week. Bye! See me to deal with the demons so I love a commit with the